Jesse Bradley, former pro goalie. He played internationally, is now based in Seattle. He is diversified. The man is a social media maverick and also has been a great World Cup analyst for us here on After Hours. So we're pleased to welcome him back to the show one more time with the final set, Jesse. We've got Argentina and France. We will definitely talk about it. Uh, it was a run for the United States that captivated a lot of attention. We've had fun talking about the U.S., at this point, though, with just one match left, what are your impressions of what we've seen to this point in Qatar? You know, I think it's been an amazing World Cup. I'm glad people are listening and interested in the conversation, in soccer, and just talking about life. Because, again, I think sports teach us about life, and there's so many things to watch, learn, pick up on. And this has been an incredible World Cup. I know there's been some different controversies off the field, but for the Americans to make it to the 16. That was a huge accomplishment. And then our midfield played so well. And, you know, if we mark up a little better on defense, we would have pushed through. <laughs> and it was a phenomenal showing for the U.S. I think it was very encouraging. We took a huge step forward and a lot of very talented players who are in their teenage years, who are also playing in the top clubs in Europe. So the future is bright for America. I'm counting down three and a half years until it comes <laughs> to the U.S. And it's right here in Seattle for one of the sites. I'm looking for tickets already. And then, you know, when you think about some of the showings that were surprising, uh, we have, the, for the first time ever, an African team made it to the Final Four. I love that. Mm -hmm. I played professionally in Zimbabwe, and I'm cheering on Africa. Morocco was outstanding, and they inspired everyone. Then we also had teams in Asia that showed up so strong. Japan knocked off some giants. Korea, you know, knocked off Portugal. They were strong. Even Australia made the Final 16. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of uh, teams that weren't expected to do that well, and I think that caught people's attention and interest. And all that makes, you know, for an exciting World Cup. But we come down, like you said, we come down to France and Argentina, probably the best two teams. You know, Italy didn't even make it to the World Cup, which is <laughs> shocking, second time in a row. And then you've got Brazil, who are probably the most talented in terms of attacking soccer. But they didn't have that sense of urgency. And if you can't hold the shape in the defense, you're not going to win championships. Mm. I think Croatia beating Brazil, that was a favor for Argentina. Because as you think about Argentina, and they were my pick at the start of the tournament, uh, you know, right now, Argentina against Brazil, a lot of people would take Brazil, but they're not here. So Argentina has a pathway right now that they could they could take it all. Well, we'll talk about what it means to get to a World Cup final for the two nations that are still standing. But I want to talk a little more about the Americans. We knew this was the youngest team we had ever fielded at a World Cup. How do you believe youth was served in this tournament? A positive or a negative, Jesse? A huge positive is that they played fearless. You know, a lot of teams probably anticipated the U.S. would be more cautious, a little more defensive shell, maybe try to counterattack. That's not what they did. We have midfielders who can run, who have skill, who put mm. pressure. Our midfielders made England nervous. <laughs> I think when the Netherlands were preparing for us, they retreated somewhat. And, you know, with everything, you have a strength, and the flip side of that can be a weakness. And I think because we were gaining confidence in midfield, we didn't really keep our shape well in the back, and we left ourselves vulnerable. And because of that, I think the savvy of the Netherlands showed up. And when you have a coach that's a little newer and players that are newer, sometimes uh, you just don't you know, make the key decisions at the key moments. And soccer is a game where it comes down to just a couple plays. And if you kind of fall asleep 
tracking guys back on defense. That's the difference between winning and losing. So I think the Dutch, you know, they use their experience well. They beat us in that regard. I mean, some of our players that are very talented, Reina, you know, didn't really show up much on the field. So trying to keep the young guys, you know, solid, focused. Sometimes when you're young, you just assume you're going to be back here three or four times because you have a long career ahead of you. But you really need to play like it's your last one because there's no guarantee that you're going to be healthy, that you'll make the team, that the team will be back. And I think, you know, uh, if we we had a good balance, especially our defense had some older guys and the goalkeeper was great too, Matt Turner. I just think we there's no replacement for experience and you can't simulate playing in the world cup. And I think <laughs> we just lost our shape enough on defense got exposed, but overall, you know, the interest in America for soccer just keeps growing. There's momentum, the MLS, you know, making it to the 16 this time, hosting it next time, like overall the positives outweigh the negatives and the setbacks for sure. Since the team has returned stateside, we've heard from Greg Berhalter that there was an internal issue with Gio Reyna. So son of Claudio, a lot of people remember him as a first-generation U.S. World Cupper. Gio responded on his social media and said, hey, I was hoping this would stay in-house. Did appreciate the accountability of the team. What's your reaction to how that was handled by Berhalter? You know, it's a tricky situation. Anytime people make some bad decisions, it puts a lot of pressure on the leadership. And you could tell they were managing, they were navigating, they were getting a lot of questions. How come he doesn't have more playing time? And really, it was held secretive uh, during the World Cup. So kudos that it didn't leak, that, you know, that didn't get more attention and more distraction. And, you know, for Reyna, being able to apologize to the team, that's a significant step. There's a lot of superstars that wouldn't do that. They wouldn't humble themselves. They've got too big of an ego. And we need more apologies. We need it in marriage. We need it in friendships. We need it in coworkers. Like, we need to be able to apologize, forgive each other, and stick together. So I think the team managed it fairly well. I think for, you know, Reyna, the disappointing part later on was that it did leak. And I don't think Berhalter was trying to draw attention to him. I think he did acknowledge that, you know, yes, there was a problem off the field. And it did put some tension on the team. You know, he probably shouldn't have said that uh, looking back because then they start putting one and one together and it looks like two. And then pretty soon it gets (laughs) revealed and you just can't keep stuff quiet. So it'll be interesting. One of the biggest decisions the U.S. needs to make is do they keep Berhalter for the next World Cup or not? I think they'll keep him a little bit longer because he clearly made progress. The team is better than when he took over. You can't say that about all leaders from the Americans over the years with men's soccer. But clearly there's been improvement. The question is, how far can he take him? Mm. And some people think he got a little bit outfoxed in the round of 16. He could have had a different approach and we could have had more success. You know, what's going to happen next four years? What's his ceiling? And that's something that they're going to have to assess carefully they could bring in a top coach. Meaning an international coach? Yeah, an international coach and someone who already coaches at the highest level, Mm. you know, week in, week out, and already works with that level of talent and has already faced some of the tactical challenges. And so it'll be interesting. There's some big names right now. There's going to be a lot of interest, I think, amongst coaches. But, you know, again, Berhalter played. He got to the Final 16 as a player, and then he led them to the Final 16 as a coach. I mean, he's made a phenomenal contribution and he had great leadership. He really kept the team together. I think his choice of the captain, you know, a 23-year-old captain, Tyler Adams, 
that worked out really well. He made a lot of good decisions. And even in terms of who he chose to play, uh, overall, it was a strong World Cup for him. But I'll tell you, if you trust breaks down, any relationship, any team, any culture, any setting, the core relationships is trust. And when trust breaks down, and right now that's going to be a point moving forward for the coach, the player, and then some of the other players wondering like, okay, are we really keeping this in-house or not? But a good coach and a good leader will rebound from that and will pull them together. So he's going to be tested because how much can the team improve and then how much can he keep that team united together? But the talent's going to be there, and the players are going to have so much more experience four years from now that I think they're going to show up differently in the key games. And this will be a great learning experience. You know, for a lot of us, we need a taste at one level <laughs> to be able to go back and then move to the next level. And they got their taste this time, and I think that will suit them well. We're so excited to spend a few more minutes with Jesse Bradley during this World Cup. He's a former international goalkeeper himself at the professional level and author and speaker and pastor and now analyst for After Hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. And for our radio audience who can't see us, haha, we're actually recording this on video to share a little bit later on our platform. So it's a good to connect with Jesse again. What's the difference? What's the separation between the United States at this point and the elite teams in the world? I would say the very best teams have a combination of skill and decision-making, and they can move at a pace and with excellence that just sets them apart. Also, the best teams usually have an unbelievable goal scorer uh, and then also a great goalkeeper. And the U.S. has had great goalkeepers, but it's right now there hasn't been that phenomenal goal scorer and soccer is a low scoring game. You need someone to move through that. I'll also say this, the best teams have an incredible culture and a great system that everyone's bought in. Mm. And there's still these, these uh, kind of X factors. Like I saw the Argentinian team brought hundreds of pounds of their favorite meat and then some spices just so they felt at home, you know, and the French <laughs> players are saying, we Sounds just like love my our kind of team, <laughs> you know, you got to have that with you, right? If you're going to win, you're away from home for a long time and you just need that taste of home. And then the French are saying, you know, their coach just calms them down and it worked last World Cup. They're trying to be the first team to repeat since like the 1960s in Brazil. Mm -hmm. What happens off the field, especially when the tournament's this long, I mean, it's one thing like in the Super Bowl. You fly in, you play one game, but this is you're overseas for over a month and you really have to have the right combination off the field too. Uh, you know, lastly, I would say the number of players that have weekly experience at the very highest levels in the world, that's a huge factor. And because they play week in, week out at that level, they've just seen it. They know it. They know mm -hmm. how to respond to the pressure, the crowds, the opponents, the tactics, like it doesn't get in their head. They're not rattled. That's huge. And the U.S. is getting there. They made the knockout stage, which was, I think, the expected goal and played really well, except for that initial game against Wales and actually probably just the last, what, 10 minutes against Wales, really. Thinking ahead to the next World Cup, which is on North American soil, cannot wait. We're talking about the United States, but also Canada and Mexico. You understand what soccer means because you've, you've played it in other countries where it's the lifeblood. But what do you anticipate in terms of spirit and excitement when it lands here in the United States? It's such a gift to host the World Cup because it's not only that month, it's the three years building up to it. 
I got something in the mail. Now, I work with the Seattle Sounders, Faith and Family Night, but I got something in mail this week. Seattle, World Cup, you know. I was hoping <laughs> it might be tickets. Like, you know, it was like Charlie Chocolate Factory, and I got the golden ticket, but it was not free tickets to the World Cup. It was just a postcard to let me know it's only three and a half years to go. It's only and three and a half years. <laughs> only half, three and a half. Let's start counting it down, right? Almost under a 1,000 days. No, not quite yet. And then, uh, you know, it's like my kids are catching that buzz. Four kids will play soccer and they're looking forward they're starting to talk they're starting to dream hey how old would i be do you think i could play in their next world cup and so you know the dreams start but that happens for a generation where all of a sudden the world cup's coming oh we got three and a half years and they watch it they want to be a part of it and what that does to infuse excitement for coaches players it just takes everyone's game up the next level and you can't uh, simulate that, too, you know, for hosting a World Cup and that buzz that's going to happen. So, you know, people watching this World Cup and, you know, you mentioned I'm a pastor Sunday morning. It's at seven o'clock and we were joking, like, can we just like, I don't know, put it on the big screen for a while and then move services back? Or like, how do we adjust so we can watch them? So we're having fun with it. It is Sunday morning. But, uh, you know, it's going to be incredible. I watched this clip where. People are in Argentina already are serenading Messi's grandmother's house. They are outside just singing and joy. And it's like the passion in those two, you know, even one of my kids was, you know, saying, dad, they were watching the game at school. And, you know, this is a semifinals. And so we all went over and watched. It was during school. And in some (laughs) countries, they just cancel school so you can watch. That's the buzz. That's the excitement, the ownership that has to happen in anything you do. You've got to have that ownership. And, you know, when you do have that ownership and you have that passion and you believe in what you're doing and it's caught your attention, your affection. All right. Now you're in. And that's so different. And that's happening in America much more for soccer. And at least we don't have to deal with the stress of qualifying, though I'm sure they would qualify. But I'm glad that process is a little less stressful. We're not advocating skipping school, of course. Jesse Bradley is with us from Seattle. It's great to have him uh, one more time here on After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Messi is in his mid-30s. For him to get to his first World Cup final, there were times, I remember, he's very emotional. He was going to quit the national national team. He was done. He was frustrated. He didn't want to be there anymore. And yet he is the standard. He's got everything but the golden ball, the golden boot. So what does it mean, do you think, for him and for his nation to finally get to that level? That's it. You described it so well. And I love how you just run with soccer. Not all sports (laughs) hosts do. You know your stuff. Uh, For Messi right now, he said, this is my final World Cup. So this is the last dance right here. It means everything. When you Mm. talk about names like, you know, from Brazil, Pele, when you talk about Maradona from Argentina, like his name's going to be right there next to him. Uh, Mount Rushmore would be our geographical, you know, illustration metaphor here. But that it's going to put him in that place. And it takes 11 to win in soccer. It really is a team. One guy can't do it himself. Mm -hmm. But this is a breakthrough for Messi. And here's a, a key piece in life. It's how you finish. Because we all go through some ups and downs. And right now, coming in this tournament, it was Messi and Ronaldo. And unfortunately, you know, Ronaldo's had some trouble with his club, a little bit with his team. He wasn't even starting. And so that's going to taint an unbelievably successful career. 
taint it in a sense that, you know, people are going to remember how his career ended uh, with Portugal, with his club right now, whereas Messi is ascending. And I think it's a reminder, you know, some people, once they hit 60, start to fade and just cruise control. And it's like, no, finish strong, finish strong. Uh, I take note, like in, in the Bible, there's a lot of people who don't finish strong, but they were strong up to that point. And it's like, you can just become complacent, sleepy, or you can get discouraged along the journey. And but you up. see the prize, you just keep going. And not all the days are going to be great. Not all the seasons are going to be great. One of our kids right now, we have four kids playing soccer. One of the kids uh, in our family, their record is like 0 and 23. I mean, that's just tough on anybody, you know, and you can see the toll that takes. So when you want a prize or you're not winning as much as you think or you haven't won the big prize, that's a temptation just to quit and give up. But uh, on those hardest days, you have someone who comes alongside you and encourages you, speaks a word of life, builds you up. You know, in a tough practice, they pick you up. That's why captains are so great. That's what the great coaches know how to do. See, soccer, it's physical. It's also intellectual because there's a lot of soccer intelligence during the game. And then there's the emotional part and the relational part. And it it all comes together. And I'll tell you right now, managing, because when you want something so bad, and Messi does, going into see Mbappe, he could win a second, but he's only going to be 23. Yeah, Pele won two at 22, but like Mbappe, he's going to be chilling. He doesn't win this one. He's still got all these years. Messi's going to feel some pressure on this one. And how do you manage? This is what the champions have to do. How do you manage the excitement? You're going to have a sense of urgency, but how do you calm down enough? And every player mm-hmm. is a little different. You know, the hard times test you, but the biggest stages test you. And what's your response? What's your emotional response? And can you bring excellence when you feel all the pressure? And we're going to see that with Messi. The whole world's going to see this with Messi. I mean, there's going to be billions of people watching him. For me, early on in life, um, I was just put too much pressure on myself as a goalie. And, and I wouldn't play as well, but I had to learn how to manage that. And for me, even prayer was part of that. I mean, there's all kinds of things. For some people, it's a certain pregame meal, you know, but you're trying to manage that stress. And that's going to be a key in between Messi's ears. The game might be one right there. And uh, I'd also say whichever team scores first is going to be a huge advantage because Argentina set up that if they get a goal, there's going to be very tough to penetrate their defense and they're going to be dangerous in the counterattack. If they score first, I don't see France coming back from that. So that first goal is significant. Start out quickly. That's what you saw today with France. They beat Morocco and they got that early goal. First 10 minutes, they're already 1-0 ahead. That just takes all the pressure off, and the other team can't sit in that defensive shell. So first goal is going to be huge, and the mental battle for Messi, it's going to be probably more formidable than anyone else out there. And, you know, other players, uh, like France already won one. They have an incredible goal scorer, um, Giroud, up front, and he is finishing his career. Uh, He's a phenomenal player, savvy. And France has a lot of weapons coming forward. So that first goal is going to be key. You say Mount Rushmore, Jesse. I want to know, is there an American that you think could be on the mountain or at least standing at the base of the mountain looking up? Right on. Yes. You know, uh, Clint Dempsey is an outstanding scorer. Landon Donovan is another name that a lot of people are going to know. I would say that in this current team, there are some players that could exceed that. And we don't know who they are. You know, usually the goal scorers get 
it's it's, it's like, like the football, quarterbacks. right? Yes. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Who's going to score the touchdown? The, the, the specialty players. I mean, they're going to get the attention. So it's usually a goal scorer. Uh, goalkeepers are huge in terms of final result, but they might not get quite as much attention. So it's probably an attacking player. I don't think that player's emerged yet, but I think the potential's on this team right now. And if some of these guys keep working and playing in their clubs, I think we could get there. I mean, we've been talking about Reyna, and he's got the potential to be that. Uh, there was a lot of people going into this World Cup that says he's our most talented player, and they thought he was going to shine. So, uh, you know, I could see, especially with a few bumps at the end of this one, sometimes, you know, I remember Andrew Luck said, you know, once he gets pounded by an opponent in a football game and that first really hard tackle it's like he's focused for the rest of the game mm. and sometimes you almost need a little bit of a challenge or setback or adversity you got it and that's just mm. going to fuel him so if if i you know was pulling for somebody it would be him for the next one but we've got some outstanding talent right now I know this World Cup will always feel a little bit different to me because of the loss of Grant Wall, who is the longtime soccer insider. But really, more than anything, when I think about him, I think how he was synonymous with the sport in the United States. He's certainly a great loss for the soccer community. I'm sad for him. I know he was doing what he loved, but man, what a loss for soccer overall in our country. That's right. What a tragedy. And he's one of those people that moved the sport forward. Uh, He's incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, He was an Ivy League grad and from Princeton. And, you know, when you listen to soccer commentators, the English, the insights they have and the pace and the words they use, they're set apart. I mean, they're the best commentators. Of course, some of the um, Hispanic commentators bring the excitement and they (laughs) celebrate the goals and they also have great insights. But the American commentators have been a little behind some of those who are overseas or from other countries and we're catching up. And when I think of Grant Wall, I think of catching up because the insights he brought to the game and the passion he had and how he explained it and made it, you know, accessible and understandable for so many people and then raised their intelligence. I mean, he just served the soccer community. He served the nation. And when anyone is that dedicated and excellent in their craft, they leave a tremendous legacy. And there's going to be a lot of people I think were inspired by him and will their careers are going to move forward because they want to bring what he brought. And it also reminds us of the fragility of life. It reminds us, you know, the human stories that surround this World Cup. You have like the treatment of women in the Middle East that was relevant there. You've got some of the workers that died and the conditions there trying to build the stadiums. When you had the war in Ukraine, Russia wasn't at the World Cup because of that. I mean, Grant's story. There's a lot of heartbreaking stories and it's always bigger off the field, you know, than on the field. We enjoy the sport, but like Grant's life, his family right now, you know, keep them in your prayers. You know, we had a campaign and we've done some digital campaigns recently. It was just a campaign of hope. The content spread more than it's ever spread. And we had so many people going through the content and even like interested spiritually in God in this content. And the world right now is in a unique spot. People are looking for hope right now. And I think soccer players can bring hope with their platform and the words they say. I think someone like Grant brings a lot of hope. And I think we all can do our part in our communities locally and globally to look out for one another, do our jobs well, serve people well. Uh, like you we saying, be faithful to the end. Don't check out early. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's something that we all need to step up together during these days. And uh, th- there is a hope that's available to everybody.
Oh, yes. A message of hope. That was what I determined my radio show would be during the course of the pandemic. And that's how you connect with people, to be sure, because we all need that need to remember why it's so important. Jesse Bradley, former international goalkeeper, professional goalkeeper. We've been so excited about your insight and, of course, connecting with you. We've enjoyed these conversations. Remind people how they can connect with you. Thank you so much. I love to hear from people, and I have heard from a lot. I've loved Good. being on CBS Sports. Your show's outstanding. You have a lot of people that really follow your show closely, too. And, you know, all those encouragements, continue to send them to Amy because they mean a lot. It's not easy to be a host. It's not easy to cover sports. It's not easy to handle. You always get a lot of negative comments, and just people just need to vent and stuff. So keep those coming. We love to hear from you. Uh, for reaching out, jessebradley.org. Uh, also, revivinghope.com. We have two websites now. And then uh, social media is Jesse J. Bradley. So let's talk soccer. Let's talk life. We can talk Seahawks, too. Uh, <laughs> whatever you want. Anything <laughs> Seattle, we're good. So let's do it. Awesome. Great to have you on the show again, Jesse. Thank you. Thanks so much, Amy. Had a great time.